This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, good morning from California and uh, afternoon in New York, right? Yep, it's 1 o'clock in New York City. Yeah, and March, you know, kind of, uh, can be kind of dreary. The snow's getting gray if you've got any, and it's kind of cold, and we're getting ready to move into spring. Um, this is kind of a hard time for some people because, you know, um, maybe in the next couple of weeks, it'll start being spring in areas, and people will be thinking about that life should be getting better, and uh, it's not necessarily after a loss. Well, that's the interesting thing, Mom. When you look at the research, it, you know, a lot of research shows that people get more depressed in the spring, and you would think it would be the opposite. But like you said, I think a part of us is feeling like we should be feeling better, and why aren't we? Yep. And Heidi and I want to remind you that it can be a light problem right now, and uh, there are lights that you can get, and we've been talking about the fact that you can go into actually to a suntan booth for 20 minutes uh three times a week to get some light. So if you need some light... Only 20 minutes, three times a week, people. I always say that because I've had skin cancer many, many times. So uh, we are not advocating for, you know, getting too much sun or too much sun tanning beds. But they just did a research study showing three times a week for 20 minutes is changing people's moods, especially when they suffer from clinical depression, mm-hmm. which I thought was so interesting because I've never heard of any doctors advocating for sun tanning beds before this study came out. Absolutely. Well, Heidi, um, we're going to be speaking, uh, and you want to talk about our engagements, Frankfurt, Kentucky. We're going to do a keynote. We're excited about being down at the Compassionate Friends in Frankfurt. We're going to do, we're going to be at the regional conference March 22nd through the 25th. And as my mom said, we're doing a keynote on finding hope after loss. And I think Alan Peterson is going to be there also. There's going to be a lot of great people presenting at this regional conference. So if you're anywhere near Frankfort, Kentucky, please join us March 22nd through the 25th. And our friend Carla Blowy will be there who wrote Dreaming Heaven. She's a great friend. She's going to be presenting. And Heidi and I are also going to do a couple of workshops. So we really hope you'll join us down there in Frankfort. And then we've got uh, ADAC coming up, right, Heidi? Association of Death Educators. Yes, we're also presenting there March 28th through the 31st in Atlanta. And this is an organization for professionals who work in the field of grief and loss. Um, so we're going to see many, many people that have been here on the show with us. And we're presenting on finding hope after loss. And I'm also presenting with Howard Winokur, who is a past president of ADAC, on care for the caregiver. Because oftentimes when people are caring for others, they get burned out. So how to prevent burnout. And so we hope you'll go on ADAC's website and brief um, the Compassionate Friends website and check out these events. Well, Heidi, we've got a really interesting show today uh, with Larry Barber, and uh, I'm excited about the show. It's There's so many facets because he's not only a widowed father, but he is also a bereaved spouse, and his he was in an automobile accident where two of his family members were killed. And he is the author of this great book, Heidi, I have here. I was telling you about it this morning. It's called Love Never Dies and um, Embracing Grief and, with Hope and Promise. And I will tell you, Heidi, this book has got everything in it. I mean, it's just what not to say, what to say, uh, what people do don't like, what they do like, uh, how you can help people, how you can help yourself. I mean, 
it, it just covers a, a wonderful realm. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on the show. And he is also the director of a, uh, he's a minister and a licensed professional counselor and director of GriefWorks. And that's in Dallas, Texas. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Well, Larry, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's it's great to have you on today. And uh, wow, Heidi has he's got a multiple of losses, hasn't he? Absolutely. And and I I'm so glad that he is on our show because he has survived not only one loss but but more than one of his wife Cindy and his two year old daughter. So we are looking forward to finding out how does one survive that kind of a tragedy. Absolutely happened in uh, 1993 and uh, turned Larry's world upside down from what I understand and and also set him on a whole new path. Well, Larry, I was talking to you a little bit about it this morning. You were driving uh, and tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, actually, I was not driving. Oh, now, you my weren't? wife okay. was driving. Yeah, oh. my wife was driving. I was uh, I was riding a uh, shotgun and uh, and my kids were in the in the back seat. And, uh, and how many kids? Uh, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, Katie who died uh, instantly in the crash. She was uh, and uh, my son, Christian, at that time was 12 years old, and my daughter, uh, Sarah, was 9 years old at that time. Mm. Wow, it seems like such like a long time, but at the same time, you know how it is with grief. It sometimes seems like it just happened yesterday. So mm-hmm. it, was, um, it was an overwhelming uh, loss for all of us, and uh, I, was, uh, I was running a, a situation where I didn't know what to do for myself, and and it was a double whammy because I also did not know what to do for my two children. It was uh, it was uh, life changing, as you said. Wow. And and Larry, Larry, how did you said your wife Cindy was driving? How did the accident happen? It was a uh, it was a multi car accident. In fact, there were mm. five other cars involved. But uh, we were going down an interstate, and uh, a car going the opposite direction on the other side of the interstate. Uh, Something happened. Uh, all we know is that uh, probably the driver panicked. Uh, instead of hitting the brakes, she hit uh, the accelerator. She went up over the median and came into uh, uh, into uh, the the ongoing traffic uh, head first, you know, and and just uh, hit four other cars before she uh, she hit ours and hit on the driver's side. The greatest impact, of course, was on the driver's side. My wife was thrown from the car. Uh, Katie died instantly in the crash, and my uh, daughter was also thrown from the car because we were driving along in a little hatchback, and, of course, the hatch uh, popped open, and uh, my daughter flew out onto the highway, and my son was uh, was hanging out just barely. Uh, and uh, I woke up after the crash took place, and uh, and I was I was basically the only one in the car. And uh, wow. people were just telling me to hold still, and they didn't know how badly I was hurt. And uh, I just knew the uh, driver's side of the car was basically gone. Oh, my heavens. What an, a nightmare. E- everyone's idea of a nightmare. And and speaking of that, uh, I talked to you a little bit earlier about post-traumatic stress syndrome because I know you talk a little bit in the book about um, about your experience in the car. And and how about reliving that for our audience out there? Did you relive that experience? Well, it was uh, for several months afterwards. I would uh, just be going about my uh, daily routine, and it was almost like I could see or feel 
the impact again. I could hear the the sound of the uh, of the metal hitting metal. Uh, I could uh, and 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 it was it was just a jolt every time time it happened. Uh, I know for the longest time I was sitting there going, when is this ever going to stop? Because I'd be going about doing my stuff and maybe having one of the best days that uh, I'd been having in a long while, and then this jolt would come again, and I would kind of relive uh, the whole situation, waking up in the car and and not knowing where everybody was. Um, I did know that uh, that Katie had died because as I was sitting there in the car, they raised her out of the uh, out of the car seat so that she was sitting in, and it was obvious that uh, that she was lifeless at that time. So I relived all that. Another thing that came out of out of that in uh, PTSD uh, was that uh, I had uh, a, an exaggerated startle response for the longest time. Uh, my kids thought uh, thought it was hilarious because. I'd be busy working in the kitchen or, or in an area of the house, and they'd walk in, and I wouldn't hear them, and they'd say something, and uh, I'd nearly jump out of my skin, and I'd never been that way before. Uh, and I just noticed that uh, that loud noises and such like that, I, I just had an exaggerated startle response to it, and for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why until I'd read a little bit about PTSD. And and how how did you deal with this post-traumatic stress? How, how did you, and how long did it take, and do you have any suggestions for our folks out there who are reliving these accidents? Well, I, it's, it's kind of like uh, going into, into, that, uh, into that bad dream. Uh, I had to just, uh, after a while, realize what was taking place and uh, just kind of, kind of rethink it. You know how you're in a dream sometimes, and it's not going well, and uh, I, I don't know if other people have gone through this, but I, I had done this quite often where I'd be in a dream, and it was a horrible dream, and, uh, and I would just kind of sit up and go, okay, now, I don't, have to, I don't have to go through this again, or I don't have to go through this because it's not really happening right now. I can, yeah, I can mm-hmm. change the channel. Uh, mm-hmm. I can go to something else. Uh, and I kind of had to do that with the... Um, with the PTSD when it would come up and and it was it was over a period of months I would say less than about six or seven months afterwards that it it became less and less at the very beginning I would uh, I would have those flashbacks almost uh, almost hourly but uh, uh, you know as as time passed they were fewer and fewer and farther and farther apart that's interesting because um the brain I was um reading something about it recently, that the brain has these patterns with post-traumatic stress. I've been looking at with the military. And um, you either have to do what you've done, which is talk yourself out of it, out of out of the brain repeating those patterns, or Heidi, you were talking about rapid eye desensitization. Right, EMDR. Yeah, where you they train you by looking at an object to retrain the brain. Or some people are talking about there's some medications now to help the brain stop doing that, but getting out of those patterns for some people who can't talk their way out of it the way you did, Larry. And it sounds like you did a good job of doing that, uh, talking your talking yourself out of that pattern. Well, talk to us a little bit about uh, being 42, having two kids to raise, uh, having a wife die and a child. Wow, that's a lot. Yes, it was. It um, it was it was a big change, and uh, I guess I was worried for the longest time about uh, 
uh, trying to to fill uh, the role of both uh, father and mother for my for my kids, and uh, and I would try to uh, to do that and. And I just say, there's there's no way that a 42 year old man can make up for what uh, his uh, his wife did with with his children. Uh, you know, they have their special uh, relationship with mom that is different from the relationship with dad. And and I just couldn't feel that. I, but there were some things that I could do. Thank goodness, my wife taught me a few things along the way. But uh, <laughs> we we had. We had uh, we had uh, adopted uh, Katie, uh, who died mm-hmm. in the crash. And at the time that we were adopting her, the people at work decided to um, to throw me a shower. You know, and I thought, this is a strange <laughs> thing—a baby shower for a man. <laughs> and uh, and my wife said, "Okay, now when they do that, you need to gush." <laughs> and I said, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, well, when you pull out the baby things, you don't just sit there and say thank you. You say things like, oh, isn't this the cutest thing that has ever been made? This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. So my wife had taught me to gush, and I noticed after, after her death that, you know, I, I thought back and I said, that's what she did with the kids too, you know. Uh-huh. Where the where the kids would walk up to me with something that they'd done, and I'd go, "Wow, that is really nice. A good picture. Let's put it on the refrigerator." My wife would sit there and go, "I cannot believe you drew this cow so well. This is so <laughs> nice." And so I have learned to do that with the kids. That was one thing that I could do that uh, she did, and you know, and gushing is just simply. Encouragement, uh-huh. um, and I found out that uh, you know the lesson that she taught me on on gushing was good with raising kids, and it's good with just dealing every day with people. You don't have to be you know so uh, exaggerated in your response, but you do have to do more to build a person up uh, rather than you know just treat whatever they do mildly. Or tear them down, and so I've I've learned to gush with everybody. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and did you find that your kids were fearful that you were going to die, Larry? I mean, they lost their mom. Were they afraid? And they lost their sibling, their sister. Were they afraid that you were going to die also, or that someone else in the family was going to die? Yes, uh, there there was that fear that uh, was always there, and it came out in in one interesting in story with my son. Uh, I had gone to a, uh, a church function, a party, and uh, w- was coming home, and it was a little bit later than I said I was going to come home, and my son is standing there at the door with his arms crossed, and and he says, and, and where have you been? I said, well, you know, I was at the party at the church, and he says, well, you said it was going to be over at 1030, and now it's after 11 o'clock. And I, just, and I started to apologize. I said, well, you know, I, I just, uh, 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 time got away, and the party ran longer than I thought. And he says, and they didn't have a phone where you were? <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness, I've had this conversation before, but the roles were reversed. Right. And the reason he is so concerned about my coming home late is because he thought, what if something has happened to my dad? Right. Yep. Where yeah. will we be? And so it, it's very, it's very. Um, uh, well, I was very aware after that 
of the, of the fear that they had. And, and now working with, with kids at GriefWorks, I understand that when one of the kids comes in and they're, they're dealing with, uh, with the loss of a parent, that one of their strong fears is usually going to be that something is going to happen, happen to the surviving parent. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit about your ministry and your work and how did you get into it? And I, I know you, you know, one of the things I really like about your book, um, besides all the wonderful information is that you have some scripture references in the back for people and all that. So I want to say to people, if, if they like some, um, references, get, make sure you get this book, Love Never Dies. It's got so much great information in it. And so talk about your book and your ministry and how people can get it and all that. Well, I tell you what, I never thought I would be writing a book because, uh, when I was working here, I started here at uh, Griefworks in Dallas, uh, four years ago. And uh, my boss kept telling me, you need to write a book. And I'm going, well, what am I going to say that hasn't already been said? He said, well, it's going to be your story. That's what's going to be different. Uh, and so the book did come about. And when people ask me, how long did it take to write it? I say, well, it, basically 18 years uh, <laughs> you know, to get, get to where I, I would be able to do something like that. But uh, after after being involved in the accident, after receiving a lot of help and support from other people. Uh, I just decided it was my turn to give back. Um, and I had also made a promise to God if if he would just send people and send information my way to help me, that I would gladly share that information with other people who were grieving. Um, and so the book came about because really it's everything I wish I had known before I started the grief journey, and uh, and it's it's things that helped me, and and I'm hopeful that uh, whoever reads the book, you know, not every part of it may uh, apply exactly to what you're going through, but there are some common threads that go through everybody's grief that we can relate to, and I just tell folks read what uh, what and take what you like from the book, and if you can use it to help you during your grief process. And part of the purpose in writing the book for me has been accomplished. Well, it's a wonderful book. And Heidi, also, there's a great area in there for if you're running a grief group, you know, what kind of limits you have to set. So it's pretty, yeah, pretty good information. Yeah, great information for professionals. You know, before we close the show, I really want to talk to you about your kids and what they're doing now. And because there's so many people who are worried that their kids are totally damaged by this and will, you know, never get over it and never go on. And of course, Heidi's a living example of the fact that kids are fabulous and, you know, and that they do go on and do great things. And, but tell us about your kids, where they are, and what they're up to. Well, I, I tell you what, I hate to admit to the ages of my kids now because you can do the math on me and see how, how much I've aged. <laughs> but uh, I, my son is now uh, 30 and mm-hmm. uh, soon to be 31, and my daughter just uh, just turned 28. Um, and, and they are both, well, they just, they turned out well despite me. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and all the things that I thought I was doing wrong. Uh, I, I'm, I am convinced that if you do everything with, with love and support and encouragement, that, uh, that kids will, uh, will forgive you for your mistakes. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, my, my son, uh, works in, uh, in healthcare. He's, uh, uh, he works, I don't understand all exactly he does, but he works and negotiates with 
insurance companies for payments and, and such like that. My daughter mm-hmm. works in, in child care. She's always loved working with children. And uh, she she got that from her mom because her mom always enjoyed working with children, too. So it's it's uh, I've, I just couldn't ask for two better um, adult children than the ones I have. Mm-hmm. And have you, wow. have you seen any, uh, well, Heidi and I, for lack of a better call it, post-traumatic growth? Do you think there's been some growth that's taken place because of those early experiences? With you, your family, your kids—have you seen any of that? Well, I, th- I think uh, I think they were both delayed by about, I would say, a year. Uh, you know, I, it's that uh, that there was that time that uh, they had to just sort of regroup and regather things, and uh, you know, they, I, I, I won't say that my children haven't been changed forever because how can they not be with with their mother and sister gone? Uh, mm-hmm. so quickly and unexpectedly and and it of course changes the way that uh, that they see the world at a very young age but uh, they received a lot of help and support which which we know with children is is what's most important I, I think you mentioned a, a, a moment ago you know my kids are going to turn out terrible because this happened children are not doomed to have disaster the rest of their life just because this one loss or this one crisis, this one tragedy took place. Uh, People uh, told me when I was uh, first widowed that I needed to be strong for the children. Um, I learned very quickly that uh, I, I couldn't get by without grieving in front of the kids. It was just not natural. And and I... yeah, it, and, to show and it, them that you're human and you grieve too. That's right. That's right. And if if I had not grieved, they would have thought, "What a cold-hearted guy this is!" Mm-hmm. Uh, did he really love mom and did he really love Katie? So I came to the conclusion: my job as a parent was to support and encourage them, and to give them a role model of what a good Christian griever does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that oh, that was important. that would be the best thing that I could do for them, because there's going to be other losses in their lives, and uh, I want I want them to be prepared for that. And and if they could use some of the good skills that I had, you know, certainly I, I I'm not uh, the best at dealing with this grief thing. I struggle just like everybody else does, but I learned what I needed to do, and I you know. I learned, thank goodness, from the help of a lot of other people, what to do for my kids. Oh, great. Well, Larry, tell people how they can get a hold of your book and about your website. Yes. Uh, the book is available if you want to go online and get it at uh, Amazon or uh, Barnes & Nobles. It's uh, Love Never Dies, Embracing Grief with Hope and Promise. Uh, if you want to go to our website, it's, of course, www.grief-works. Dot org, and uh, the book is also available there on that website. Well, and if you live in the Dallas area, you can drop right in there, right? If you live, if, yeah, if you live in the Dallas area, you can come by North Dallas. If you know where uh, Preston Road and uh, LBJ Freeway are, we're near that intersection, and just look for uh, Christian Works for Children. We'll be uh, we'll be glad to give you a tour, take you through Grief Works, which is a fantasy land for kids and uh, just a good, safe place for 
for kids to come and be themselves and to uh, express their grief without being judged. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the wow. work you're doing, Larry, and for being on the show today. Thanks, well, Larry. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Heidi, what a great show and what a great work Larry Barber is doing, isn't he? Absolutely. And, and grief work sounds incredible. I wish every city in the country had a grief work. Yeah, I wish every city had a Larry Barber and a grief works. Yeah. Uh, next time we go down and visit our friend Jim down there, we'll have to drop in. Absolutely. And I think Larry said something so key and important in the show, and it was that it's okay for parents to grieve in front of their children and show them that they're, they hurt so much because they love so much and to be a good model of grief, I mean, and, and to not make it a taboo topic and something that you do alone and hide from people. Absolutely. I love that. I did too. Well, thanks for listening to the show today, and we hope we'll see some of you down in Frankfort, Kentucky. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.